Welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 44. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are discussing chapter 7 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Boggart in the Wardrobe. Or, as we like to call it, Feelings Matter. Lots of uh, Snape content in this chapter. And even I have to admit, even me, in this chapter, he is an absolute asshat. I mean, he's just such a dick and like... To Neville. Don't be a dick to Neville. Yeah, forewarning, there's going to be a lot of Snape sucks count points coming in this chapter alone. <laughs> there hasn't been any so far in Prisoner of Azkaban. And I think there might be more in this chapter than there has been in like the last two books. It's not. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm not going to defend him in this chapter. Yeah, there is quite. It was quite something in this chapter. But we uh, start the chapter off with Melfa coming into potions halfway through with his arm all bandaged. And he's really playing up that he's so injured, but obviously he's faking. Absolutely. And I remember them talking about in like the first book that Madame Pumphrey can mend like broken bones in like a heartbeat, like in a second, and it's super easy for her. So I'm thinking like if Melfa has like abrasions or whatever certainly it'd be like similar to that like obviously he's fine but he's just milking it she probably could have completely healed him in 45 minutes but he definitely was like no no bandage me up as a precaution what if i re-injure it and then he's acting like it's terrible and it's not he's acting like i acted if anything happened to me before gym class when i was in high school like i was constantly seeking some excuse to not have to participate especially if it was the beep (laughs) test or something and it's kind of like the oh no i've received a paper cut last week and i couldn't possibly participate but like he's doing that for everything he just wants attention and sympathy and yeah clearly he's got political motivations and that he's trying to get haggard out of the way but like absolutely madame pomfrey could have fixed it in like 10 minutes maybe 30 minutes you know so do we think that Matt, like Draco was like he obviously was fixed but like he was fixed he's going around saying he's like not fixed <laughs> he's fixed I mean a lot of things to be fixed with him but obviously he's fine like the end of the Malfoy line <laughs> <laughs> he's fine uh, medically speaking and he's going around saying he's not fine so wouldn't Madame Pumphrey be like kind of offended being like well I fixed you so I don't know what's what's going on in your head i mean she probably doesn't pay attention to the crap kids say i feel like she has no energy for their gossip so she's probably like he came in sick he left fine i know he's fine whatever (laughs) doesn't actually reflect on my job because no one like if dumbledore interpreted it or something as like oh she's not doing her job because this kid is still hurt it would be different but like drake was being such a drama queen and it's so obviously an exaggeration that i think it's not actually no one is looking at draco and in any way interpreting it as a negative reflection on the ability of uh, Madame Pomfrey to do her job. I was going to say, the last thing she needs is like students pretending like they're unwell when she healed them. She already has so many students who are actually unwell that yeah, she doesn't have time for this. She has a hard job, so she doesn't need Draco like making things up Yeah, to make her job worse. Now on the topic of Draco, he comes to class late being a drama queen and Snape's just like, whatever, sit down. And everyone's like, that is not how he would act if it were anyone else. And I think Snape definitely shows a lot of, like, tolerance of Draco and lets Draco get away with things that he does not let other people get away with. And I know to some extent that's Draco's father is a notable Death Eater with a lot of power and treating Draco right Mm -hmm. reflects well on him as a Death Eater, two Death Eaters to Lucius. But I wonder if to some extent, like, Snape sees bits of himself in Draco, like, 
they were very different people in school, clearly. Like, Snape and Draco actually personality-wise don't have much in common. But because Draco is a Slytherin boy, because he probably sees the same pressures in Draco's life to, like, turn to the dark side that he sort of faced in his own life, I wonder if, like, he's overly sympathetic to those issues because he can kind of relate to them. So, like, he kind of wants to make Draco's life easier than his was. And, like, there's a million students he could have chosen that were actually decent people to sympathize with. But, like, Draco was the only one he could sympathize with and get away with treating better while being a double agent. I don't know if Snape actually cares that much. I definitely feel like in the later books, he maybe is trying to help Malfoy out, but he always has ulterior motives. So I just see it more as, like, Draco obviously has ties to, like, Lucius, who is still a Death Eater and... Dumbledore knows that Snape knows that and being on Lucy's good side it works out for both of them because they kind of have an idea of what's going on and Drake was more likely to open up to Snape if he knows that like and Lucius will open up to Snape if he's more likely to know that Snape's still like a Slytherin or how they've used Slytherins at heart and all that. I also wonder if Snape's just being more of a petty bitch in this book because Lupin's around and so he's constantly reminded of his childhood trauma. Yeah I do feel like Snape really acts out in this chapter because Lupin Lupin's there and it just makes him look like even more of a dick because he's not I have a point about this later but he's basically just targeting children to get his rage about Lupin being around and it's just like those aren't the kids that bullied you those are actual children yeah it's not his best it's not it's not a glowing representation of I mean we do have an episode called Severus Snape Needs Therapy, and it very, it's, it's still true. I mean, he hasn't had it yet, so it's still true. And even if he had had it, he would need more. But uh, we have the first Snape sucks count for mistreating Harry and Ron as Malfoy decides very specifically to sit with Harry and Ron just to bother them. But I do love how Ron, when Draco's like just going off on whatever Hagrid and all this other stuff, Ron's just like, keep talking, he'll give you a real injury. And I'm thinking about all the times Ron has punched or inflicted harm into on Malfoy in this series. So Ron's not lying, he will. He'll, he'll punch a bitch, yeah. I think in the first book, he literally, like, was, like, gotten a fist fight with Malfoy at the Quidditch game. I know in Deathly Hollows, he punches Malfoy while they're invisible <laughs> or something. I mean, I would, too, to be fair. It's an opportunity. You can't give up. So, I mean, like, Ron, we already talked about how Ron's just really aggressive and just very much kind of laying down the law now that he's not taking any of Malfoy's shit this year. And this is just true. Like, we, I do not doubt that Ron would have punched Malfoy out if he had the chance in this chapter alone it would have been an interesting thing because ron would get in trouble but if draco then f sort of fought back in any way we'd realize his arm wasn't injured Ooh, exposed yeah like i think i'm thinking too far ahead i think i'm being a slytherin again and i'm like how could i manipulate draco into revealing that he's faking it because that seems like a valid option in my mind yeah but Ron's not thinking about that. He's just like, oh, this guy pisses me off so much. I'm just going to punch him. <laughs> I mean, we've all wanted to punch someone a time or two. Especially Malfoy. I'm kind of this weird third point of view where, like, obviously most of the series is in third point of view, but Harry's perspective. But this is kind of like this way this chapter is set up with the potions class. It goes for, it's like very general third person point of view where it goes like this is what Harry and Ron are doing with Malfoy. But then it goes over to this is what Hermione and Neville are doing. Yeah. Which I get that it's kind of having to transition to like the whole Neville Snape setup for the later in the chapter, but it's a bit weird. Yeah. Neville is, I just feel so bad for him because I think we've all had uh, classes that we kind of dread because we're, we don't like the teachers or it's just like the teachers are 
not great. We don't like them. They're mean to us. They mistreat us. But Neville is legitimately, like, scared of his teacher that he can't, like, adequately perform in class. And that's just, like, this is, like, reasons why we talked about Snape not being a good teacher is that, like, he can't really teach. He's obviously brilliant at potions, but he can't, like, not everyone learns the same way. And Neville is not someone that can really just read like ingredients and like instructions on a chalkboard and then do the thing like he obviously needs something else he needs to do like a follow-along like he needs a teacher that does it like a, a cooking tutorial where you can pause and do the two cups of milk and then press play and then watch how long they preheat the oven for and then press pause yeah it's just it's just not great <laughs> and snape doesn't want to demonstrate things because he doesn't want to be there well for him it obviously makes sense to him because he's obviously this is what he's brilliant at and he's just like a really great potioner and so it makes sense to him but like i think a lot of teachers have that word like they learn one way and so like this is how this it makes sense like this is how everyone does it but that's not how that's not always how everyone does it that's not how people learn and it's very rare when we see like snape's teaching style compared to lupin and how he kind of incorporates everyone into the lesson i always feel like potions to me is a lot like baking in that like it's very specific if you're off by a tiny bit of sugar or if you leave it in for too long it's completely destroyed and like if I have a recipe I can follow a recipe like I can read the instruction do it so I think I'd be all right at potions but then I know people who I think are like to baking as Snape is to potions where like they kind of can be like actually you know I think I find the sugar a little more granulated today so I think we'd add a little bit more cream and they just know that and like they they can just intuitively interpret things like oh no if you put too many chocolate chips in here it'll change the consistency and it won't hold together well you can only put this much and like i wouldn't know that but some people just have that and i think snape has that you know but i can also understand to some extent how if potions is a lot like just baking i can see how it would be annoying for a teacher who doesn't want to be a teacher to have to tell someone how to do something when it's written like if it says put two eggs in and someone puts three eggs in like and you know how to read i can see how that could be really annoying what's well, also the environment he displays like yeah it's a high stress environment it's like being on a gordon ramsay cooking show version of baking yeah like we do see i think later on it during exams like when they have their owls i think harry describes neville seem seeming more relaxed during their potion final even though he's terrible at potions and i don't even think he gets a good grade but just like not being in snape's classroom automatically changes the vibes yeah not having snape there just changes everything for him and i think we can all relate to having a teacher that just just like it's like a dark omen just ruined the whole class i've had hostile borderline abusive teachers i definitely know what it's like and i how it feels and like yep so have i and i've had classes with those teachers where i've done amazing and still been like i might have gotten a 90 but this person is horrible and not a good teacher they didn't get me the 90 i got me a 90 yeah it's not great so i definitely really sympathize with neville and just like especially because how young he is too and how sweet and like he hasn't found his confidence yet so like every little blow becomes internalized becomes a part of who he is he's like oh i'm bad at potions and snape hates me and not i'm you know good in other areas or like potions just isn't the thing for me like he internalizes it and then like makes it bigger in his mind i'm not just bad at being a student in potions i'm a bad student I'm not just bad at making this potion. I'm bad at making things. Yeah, and the thing is, like, we also know Neville's just not getting that. He's not just getting it from himself. He's, like, hearing what people say about him. He's known to not be the best at magic. And, like, all the teachers know this. And, like, his friends know this. And even, like, his grand just tells him everyone that like oh he's not as great as his father and i feel like for the longest time it took neville so long to come into his own because he lacked the confidence if people had actually like you know believed in him 
I'm sure it, it would have been easier for him to like, you know, give the confidence to perform well with magic, but he gets no positive reinforcement, encouragement, or like compliments, and he always gets the criticism. He's always the butt of the joke. He's always the first person to be told they're doing it wrong. Yeah. And that's hard. It's extra impressive to think how he turns out so brave and talented and like excels in the areas he excels to such an extent. Because like he has to overcome so much without really having like he's not really someone teacher's pet. Like maybe uh Miss Sprout really likes him because he's good at herbology, but we have no idea of him being like a teacher's favorite. Like Harry ends up being a lot of teacher's favorites. Hermione is obviously a lot of teacher's favorites. Hagrid loves those three better than everyone else. So like he has to overcome those things without being anyone's particular pet project or anyone focusing or prioritizing how he feels or like his journey of like discovering his self-worth and like he does that on his own and it's so impressive neville is the best uh i just think it's great having neville here to kind of like i think kind of encapsulate what a lot of like especially like young people feel about like not being great at anything or just like really struggling with stuff and i feel like neville's like especially surrounded by spectacular people like harry potter like hermione granger it's so easy for him to be like well i'm just neville well snape shows himself to be even more of a dick because obviously neville messes up his potion and snape decides that he's gonna feed this potion to neville's pet trevor his pet toe that he loves trevor. that his like I think his uncle gave to him or something so obviously it's very special to him and he's like are we gonna feed this potion to him and then if it works he'll be fine but you know if it doesn't work he'll be poisoned and probably die yeah i like to think that like snape couldn't actually just poison someone's pet he'd get in trouble like he knows how to anecdote the common errors people probably make in that potion but either way it's a dick move like if someone made me do that with my dog i think i would evade a cadavera <laughs> like i'd be like i'm sorry I'm not fucking around with the health of my pet whom I love. But I have two Snape sucks points here. <laughs> so I have one point for him just bullying Neville to tears, just telling him he's an idiot and all this terrible things you shouldn't be telling to a child. And then for everyone for, you know, just not even just threatening to kill a pet, but also just announcing it in front of the class. Like he's making it a spectacle. And like that's just, and Neville's already like crying. Like it's just like just grounding him into the jury more. I think Snape suffers from feelings of powerlessness because he's everyone's puppet. He's Voldemort's puppet. He's Dumbledore's puppet. Yeah. And I feel like he 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 does he deals with it by like trying to feel like he has power in the few situations where he can, which unfortunately is when he's teaching the children and it's a dick move, but like he's just trying to find some area of his life where he can feel like he has control and he has the power and he grotesquely abuses it in that area. Yeah, the authority. So we have like this kind of little side combo where um, we find out that Sirius Black has been sighted near Hogwarts and Harry and Ron are talking to Seamus about it. And then Malfoy starts, you know, kind of baiting Harry, being like, oh, if it was me, I would have gone after him already. I would have gotten revenge. Which is hilarious because Draco is the biggest scaredy cat. Yeah. Like, he's afraid of everything. <laughs> he, like, cries and whines. I remember what he was like in the Forbidden Forest. I remember what he was like when he got gently scratched by Buckbeak. Like, he is the biggest, most delicate like, like yeah i just feel like he's just baiting harry oh, we obviously don't know why because he of course when harry's like what are you talking about he's just like oh you don't know because malfoy loves having like information that harry doesn't but i just feel like that's what malfoy does he doesn't actually do anything crazy he just kind of like figures out what people like like they're like insecurities and everything and uses it against them yeah he's a very classic bully in in most cases i find to some extent he's a caricature of a bully like i can't imagine someone 13 years old making fun of someone for having dead parents for example like i don't know anyone who's not like very unstable and deranged would do that like 
Even bullies kind of think they're the good guy. I mean, bullying culture back in like the 80s, 90s had to be pretty, I think, pretty, pretty uh, dark. I feel like we've progressed more in what what you can and can't bully someone for. Yeah, but I just, I'm like, I can't, like, in my mind, Draco does things to look cooler than Harry Potter, but he doesn't intentionally, like, he, like, saying Harry's parents are dead doesn't make Draco look cooler than Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like saying Harry Potter fainted because he saw a Dementor makes Draco look cooler because he didn't faint when he saw the Dementor or whatever. But like, haha, your parents are dead doesn't make Draco look cool. <laughs> like, so I'm rich now. Like, your parents have money. I like, I don't know. It's just dumb. But uh, I just wondering like what what Malfoy's intentions are by telling like figuring out Harry doesn't know like the like the history between his parents and Sirius Black and it's like is he trying to get Harry killed? He's like baiting him into looking for Black, but Harry was just confused. I don't think he goes so far as wanting to get Harry killed. I think it's more like, A, look at this thing I know you don't know that pertains to you and has nothing to do with me. Nana na boo boo. I'm so smart. And then maybe also a little bit of like, does he probably doesn't think Harry could get far enough to get killed, but he probably likes the idea of Harry looking like an idiot if he tried to do something about it, like getting caught trying to sneak off the school grounds or... I mean... Harry's track record's pretty intense, so I wouldn't think it's out of the question that Harry would go look for him. Yeah, that's fair. He's not known for his wise decision-making and sensible choices. So I have one more. I think this is... There might be another one after this, but uh, another Snape sucks point for Snape punishing Hermione for helping Neville, because I just feel like that was unnecessary. Like, students helping students in classes, if it's not a test, I feel like that's not cheating or anything. I think it's encouraged because it's, like, peer building, you know, responsibility and her teaching. It's just, like helping people some people learn that way better yeah and it's not a test so i feel like it's not cheating and he told her not to help her but i'm like that's because snape just wanted to punish neville for like no reason just because he could it would be one thing to say don't do it for him but like she could help him and say oh neville here's a pro tip cut your egg this way or whatever and then neville tries it that way and he's like okay thanks that's helping um if she didn't do it for him then i see absolutely no issue whatsoever not an exam not a test he's not being i mean they're technically i'm maybe being graded on it but like i just feel like it was just snape being a dick for no reason he just wanted to see neville suffer and her mind prevented that so he was mad so obviously we find out that you know trevor was saved he turned into a tadpole everyone's happy snape was mad so he punished hermione and neville for no reason and then once they leave harry and ron are very mad at like snape and they're storming up the stairs and then hermione was with them and then they turn around and she's not with them and she's at the bottom of the stairs and they're like what and then they find out she has all her books with her because her bag falls apart. And they're like, why are you bringing all your books? We only have these classes today. So it's kind of more hints about Hermione maybe keeping a secret and she's not really great at blowing them off. She's just like, oh, I wonder what's for lunch today. <laughs> Ron and Harry are really struggling to find the brain time to figure out what's up with Hermione. Like they know there's something up, but they have so many other things taking up their like actual brain space. They're like, hmm, weird thing with Hermione, but Snape's a dick. Hmm, weird thing with Hermione, but Hagrid's in trouble. Like they just don't have enough room in their brain desks. Yeah, I also feel like because it's Hermione, they're like, it can't be anything crazy because it's Hermione. Hermione doesn't do crazy like rule breaking things. So they're like, whatever Hermione's doing, it's obviously like... It's not breaking a rule, so it's probably not anything that interests us. Yeah. So after lunch, they have their first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson with Lupin. And this is their first 
practical lesson if you exclude Lockhart's pixie. Which we do because that didn't teach anyone anything except that Lockhart was a dick. But I just find it interesting that this is the very first practical lesson they've had because I feel like Fence Against the Dark Arts should be a very practical hands-on subject. Yeah, you'd think something like has to happen to you if you to defend yourself. But I wonder if they just mean like in a more specific like out of the classroom context practical because like to me you read the chapter on whatever this type of defensive spell and then to me you have to practice the wand movements in class even if you're just waving the wand and not saying the spell and even if then you're just practicing saying the spell without waving the wand just to like know how to do it properly and then doing it like the teacher throws a ball at you and then you use the spell to deflect the ball rather than like a real valid attacker because, like, to me, you're not actually learning Defense Against the Dark Arts if there isn't at least a little bit of practicality. And, like, I understand maybe in year one if it's mostly reading and, like, proper wand care and don't poke each other's eyes out. I feel like year one probably wasn't much besides, like, very basic spells. And maybe it was it was more controlled because... And it was also Quirrell teaching them. And then obviously they didn't learn anything last year with Lockhart. Yeah. So maybe it's a little late for them to be starting to learn this, but they have... Yeah, I feel like they're probably behind. I will say, I think it's very fun that they leave the classroom. Like, they go on a little adventure to find the creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved classes like that where we got to, like, leave the classroom. Fun. But uh, on the way to the staff room where the fog guard is, Lupin and the, the students run into Peeves. And I find it very interesting how Peeves interacts with Lupin because we see with, like, other professors and stuff. Like, he generally mostly respects them because they're teachers and he obviously bullies the students but he treats Lupin like a student which is kind of like foreshadowing to the point that like maybe there's more to Lupin either he, Lupin's more connected to the story than we think of just being like a teacher I think Peeves sees Lupin as a peer in the same way Peeves sort of sees Fred and George differently than other students well I yeah I'm assuming that the Marauders back when they were at school had a lot to do with Peeves, so... Gotten their own trouble enough that Peeves, like... Yeah. <laughs> maybe doesn't like them specifically, but, like, respects what they're up to. Yeah, I'm assuming it's kind of... They have some kind of, like... Some, there's something there that it's, like... Because I don't think... Even if, like... I was trying to think of when Peeves, like, existed for the school, if he always existed. Because, obviously, all the teachers would have gone to Hogwarts, but he doesn't act like that with, like, Minerva or anyone. And we've never seen him interact with Snape. Yeah, I think it's... I think it has something to do with being, like, mischievous, like... He got up to no good when he was a student at Hogwarts. And Peeves like, I am also up to no good at Hogwarts. So yeah, <laughs> you're not the boss of me. Because I don't think he would he would treat Snape like that. No. So I feel like it's definitely because of who Lupin is. So we just get like this little hint of like, this is more than a teacher. There's just like, there's some backstory coming here. And then also a little bit that Lupin's just like the vibe of Lupin. Like McGonagall's sort of very clean cut and like upright. And I feel like you treat her with more respect, not necessarily because you would respect her more than a Lupin, but because she carries herself in more of like a proper manner. And Lupin is sort of disheveled. Like he's very laid back. He's very chill. He's like, come on kids, we're going into this room. We're going to look in the closet. Like... So it's easier to be less, like, conduct yourself in a less official manner as someone like Peeves around him because he's just like, this guy's got a hole in issue, you know? The vibe I always get from Lupin is uh, Robin Williams' character in Dead Poet Society. Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. That's that's spot on. That, that's the kind of teacher I see him as. So when they go into the staff room, Snape, of course, is there. And as he's leaving, he insults Neville to Lupin, basically says he's an idiot and, and he'll be a danger to the class in front of Neville, in front of Lupin, in front of the entire class, basically just, you know, being rude and disrespectful for no reason. And Neville's obviously like heartbroken. So 
Snape sucks point for that. And I'm just wondering, I kind of talked about this before, but I feel like this is like misdirected anger. Like obviously Snape's just really thrown off by Lupin being here and all the memories from the past he must bring up. And he can't obviously do anything to Lupin and salt Lupin or get back at Lupin in any way, obviously, because he's a teacher and they're colleagues now, but he can insult the students. So this is what he's doing. He's just like, I can't get one up on Lupin in front of all these students now, but there's Neville. I feel like he's projecting a little bit. Like he, 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 he probably, I don't think Lupin thinks about Snape as much as Snape would think about Lupin. And I think in Snape's mind, Lupin sees him as like a weak, um, unvaluable, like victim who's shy and afraid. And so like, he's sort of hyper contextualizing and like trying to prove himself the opposite of that by like pushing others down to look like he's more of an authority figure to look like he's more strong to make it look like yeah definitely and and so he's like which is a dick move but he's definitely like exaggerating those things because he's trying to like peacock you know show off to lupin you think i'm that but look what i am now and lupin's just like yep still a dick and it just backfires so bad because lupin has just like the perfect like like responses like he doesn't get go into Snape's baiting him Snape's just being very like rude and unnecessarily mean and cruel to a student and instead of like you know telling him off in front of the students or like kind of like riling everyone up he's just like you know like that's disappointing like I was hoping Neville would help me with this lesson and being just like really positive and just giving Snape nothing back which is the way to kind of handle those kind of things he's basically taking away like like snape pulled neville down and was like he's not good and lupin was like actually i think he's good you know what i mean but without being direct and confrontational yeah it also kind of feels like snape and lupin are playing ball with each other and (laughs) neville is the ball (laughs) well i feel like lupin has the last laugh and he's such a troll because as we go into the lesson snape as soon as uh he finds out what neville's fear is which is professor snape he's like i have the He's like, I have the best idea. <laughs> oh my god, Lupin is hyped. Such a troll. He's just like... <laughs> and I like the like extra details. Like Neville's like, you know, she wears a coat, she wears a hat. And Lupin's like, handbag? Oh, please tell me she has a handbag. <laughs> yeah, I get the idea that like, I think people always see Lupin as like a bystander for all the Snape stuff. But I feel like stuff like this shows that like, he didn't like Snape either. And like, this is the kind of stuff I think Lupin did where like, he was never like outwardly crazy or super like showy like James and serious but he just had like those quiet like yeah Lupin wasn't like I don't think Lupin was like a trip you when you walked on the hallway kind of guy I think he was more of like a quiet petty guy yeah he had and he's good at comebacks too I feel like he was a quiet kid but like with Sirius and James I'm sure he kind of like he had his own way of things yeah I love this like petty like just kind of taking the opportunity as it comes and he's just like egging Neville on being like what color was the handbag don't forget the handbag <laughs> was, was she in high heels please tell me she was in high heels he's enjoying <laughs> yeah. himself which I'm not it's nice because I don't think the teachers often I mean like Trelawney loves herself she always enjoys her classes but like Lupin's having fun with this one which is at Snape's expense but Given this chapter's context, Snape had it coming. He kind of deserves it. He looks good in that big bird hat. I'm not going to lie. Alan Rickman looked pretty okay in the giant goofy bird hat. Yeah, Alan Rickman. So the half the class kind of think about when they introduce what a bogart is. Like, what are you most scared of? And Harry kind of thinks about the things that he's scared of, which are obviously Voldemort. Serious black two mass murderers that are after him but he actually has like the mature thought to think like those things are scary and like fearful but actually i think i'm more afraid of this dementor thing that just happened and i feel like that's like i feel like most kids would be like 
if they see just something that, that is generally scary, like that's what I'm most afraid of. But Harry kind of really digs deep into himself and it's like, these things are scary, but they don't really scare me as much as this thing at the moment. The unique thing about the Dementor situation is like the times where he's come in contact with Voldemort at this point, he's sort of had time to emotionally build up. He's like, Voldemort's probably at the end of this magical adventure, past the chessboard and stuff. There's probably Voldemort there. So he has time to like think about it and build up emotion, but also like he has built up like ways to respond to Voldemort, things he can do to Voldemort. Like there's a bit of a plan. So like, I find like it's easier to not be scared when there's other things going on in your brain. Like I have to follow the plan. Hermione said, try this. But when it comes to the Dementor, it was unexpected. It was not in a context where he's expected to be in danger. So it's just the pure initial emotion with like no forethought. And it's like so sudden and it's a different like he doesn't know if there's any physical threat or not it's entirely like an emotional experience almost with a dementor and then also there's the recency bias which is this happened like a few days ago and the other things happened like last year that's so long when you're 13 last year's ages ago so uh you wanted to talk a bit about all the different bug arts that appear for the kids besides neville's obviously yeah um, I think one of the first things that's interesting is that with the exception of Neville's, which is like an actual human being teacher who like basically abuses him, which is a very valid and probably one of the scariest options we actually hear about. The others are all just kind of like generic Halloween style spooks, like things you would find on the Halloween aisle at Walmart or like most certainly find multiple options for in a spirit Halloween. Like, I'm afraid of mummies. I'm afraid of spiders. Like, it's such generic, like surface level yeah things to be i mean i hate spiders i hate them but it's they're very like childish surface level fears compared to something like neville's which is like kind of a real threat yeah i think it kind of shows the trauma like neville kind of has where like everyone has i feel like as a kid like you're if you say what your biggest fear is it's probably gonna be spiders or something uh, definitely a thing but very like and it's just like a thing like i feel like all the people like they're saying what they're like their thing is they don't like and it's all like a dismembered hand a zombie a ghoul like stuff like that but neville it's just it's like trauma representing itself like, yeah i don't think snape is really what he's afraid of it's just like the feelings that snape gives him though yeah the way someone who's a figure of authority making you feel bad about yourself along with the passivity of those around you letting them do that is scary which is very deep for a 13 year old but obviously to him it's snape but i think because they're so young these are the things they're scared of but i think in a, a, with, when they're older it obviously becomes more real but i think neville and harry like their fears are basically like a lot more deep than like everyone else's everyone else's are kind of like phobias or just things they they find creepy or whatever but like they haven't really dug into like their psyche and like what they're like why they're afraid of these things yeah and I also think Neville's biggest, like, enemy is sort of his own view of himself throughout the entire series. Like, Harry has to fight Voldemort, but Neville has to fight how Neville sees himself. And, like, all the people that he fears and doesn't get along with are people who reinforce this negative view of himself. So, like, when he sees Severus Snape, what he's seeing is all the things Severus Snape says he is and that he himself, Neville, believes about himself at this point. But he's not actually afraid of Snape. Snape's just a dick. He's afraid of being incompetent and being not worth getting help. And yeah, what Snape Press represents. Yeah. It's awful. Poor Neville. But I also wonder, like, were there any other, like, actually valid, like, not, not to invalidate some of them, but were there any other, like, serious and potentially disturbing bogarts that just weren't mentioned? Because you got to think some of the kids fear is like disappointing their parents like that's a very valid real fear i don't know if any of the kids would have been in that like been able to like comprehend that like we know neville and harry have some deep trauma and i just don't know if any other kids like 
would be able to comprehend it as a fear. I just think when you're that young, a fear is like a thing. And I just think they're thinking of things that they don't like or a phobia. But I think like even at that age, disappointing people who like I I honestly think if we'd seen Draco's, I think it would have been his father talking shit about him because Draco holds his father up to such high esteem. I definitely think it would have come out as something else like i think draco, draco could have seen his father but it's representing his fear disappointment yeah like yeah he sees snape coming out for neville i don't think they i don't think that they have like enough of their psyche like evaluated by themselves to like know that's what they're scared of it has to be represented by something else yeah because the bogart's reading their mind so if they don't know they're scared of the thing i suppose the bogart can't see it either but like it could have been risky i also wonder if they like pre-do like uh, some sort of like mental health check on the kids before they put them in front of their biggest fears because like that could be heckin traumatizing like they don't do they like we don't know if like one of the patil twins almost had their brother eaten by a dragon when they're young and it's going to come out as a dragon and it's going to bring up all their repressed memories and they're going to be very unwell psychologically like i feel like it's a really cool thing and i'd want to do it and it's a great lesson but i hope there was a little bit of forethought and like a slight bit of investigation and like (laughs) he knew neville could beat that yeah he jumped in for harry i hope he would have also jumped in and done the research to know who else to jump in for because it's not just about Harry Potter, despite what the title and Dumbledore say. I think it's a great lesson, but it all, yeah, it also could turn very dark. Like what Lupin was saying, like, oh, if like what, what would happen if like I thought Lord Voldemort come out and that just would traumatize the whole class. So it's like you hope there's some kind of safeguarding with like a, a thing like that. So speaking of Harry's um, and Bogart, uh, Lupin actually doesn't let Harry fight the Bogart. And Harry... W- before this was he didn't actually know how to make a dementor funny so he's kind of freaking out but then lupin stops it from going to him and we see lupin's bogart which is as lavender Pafari think is like an orb and he's afraid of divination <laughs> i mean to be fair maybe it's the trelawney and him have a history we don't know about maybe maybe he broke one of her good pink teacups once and she chucked a crystal ball at him <laughs> we don't know but uh, so we have like this foreshadowing and we obviously find out it's like the moon. So we're having like this already intense foreshadowing to Lupin and how big of a role he's going to play in this book. We also don't get to see Her- Hermione, which I think is interesting. We don't get to see what her bogart is. And Ron jokes that it's like a nine out of ten on a test. What do you think Hermione's bogart actually would be? Yeah, because at the end of the book, she said it was um, McGonagall telling her she's going to fail everything. And I do think a sense of failure is what... Hermione's might be her biggest fear of. I just don't know what it would come out of because I don't know. I feel like Hermione's a pretty mature character at this point compared to Harry and Ron at least. I think it would come out a little more um, in depth. Than like just... ambiguous? Yeah. Because I do feel like most of the people like we talked about are they're seeing things and I feel like Snape represents for Neville like a more deeper like fear but I don't I wonder what Hermione's would come out of if her fear of failure I think is something that really sticks with her or like her sense of belonging I think her sense of belonging is almost more than her sense of failure like I think her everyone would think her biggest fear and her highest concern is like grades and doing well in school but I think feeling like Harry and Ron don't need her or value her friendship is scarier to her and I almost would say it's more likely that it's like a version of them being like, we don't want you to be our friend. What do you contribute? We don't need you, you know? I think it's also just her existing in the wizarding world. Like, we don't know her life pre-Hogwarts, but based on how she struggled in, like, the first novel, like, making friends and fitting in, I do think that, like, the idea of her, like, not being allowed to be in the wizarding world or being an outcast is something that weighs on her, which is why probably why she she tries so hard to be doing, like, 
everything to like the ninth degree. Yeah, you've got to think a very valid common fear amongst Muggleborns is just being denied access to this world that they've now fallen so deeply in love and become so entrenched with. Like you didn't know this thing. This thing is now a part of your life. And the fear that it could just all go away again is probably very valid and common. I think that could happen. But I do think, because I think Hermione's, I don't know how it would come out, but I definitely do think like a, like not belonging or ideas of failure, not even just failure as like grades, but just failure as like a witch or like in life in general. I feel like she has really high standards for herself. And I feel like this is the book where she kind of sets herself up to fail because she's trying to do everything and you just can't. But I think her, hers would have been interesting to see. But I do like the idea that like Harry at the end, he's just having all these thoughts about like, why did Lupin like not let him fight the Dementor? Did Lupin think he was weak? Did he think he's going to pass out again? And I just feel like it's kind of obvious. And Lupin does tell Harry this later, that obviously he thought it was going to be Voldemort. And obviously you can't have Voldemort just showing up in a classroom. Yeah, that would get up. That would end up as a Daily Prophet for sure. Voldemort seen in closet at Hogwarts? Question mark. Wearing a fluffy hat and a red handbag? Question mark. What if they had Voldemort come out wearing Neville's grand stuff? Exactly. A nose. Just Voldemort with a nose. <laughs> Ew. No. <laughs> yes, Voldemort entirely made of noses. Ew. I feel like what this insecurity Harry has about Lupin seeing him and like a very like vulnerable weak moment and he's just very much fixated on that and we don't really like Harry's never really been super fixated on teacher before but he's just like oh Lupin's seen me in like such like a terrible state and he doesn't like think I'm strong or I think it's I mean part of it is like the sense of being on a stage that you have at that age where you think every embarrassing thing that happens to you everyone notices and every good thing you do nobody notices and like I think to Harry because he's a Gryffindor and he values bravery so much he he in his and because he's a teenager who sees their worst things as being more memorable than their strengths is gonna think like oh no I fainted because I saw the Dementor therefore no one will think I'm brave and all my hard work beating Voldemort two years in a row isn't gonna be valued anymore like ugh, yeah but he fainted when he saw the Dementor so it totally doesn't matter that he risked his life two years in a row because being brave is so important to him and like specifically that event would be seen as unbrave yeah I don't like Harry doesn't really like being seen vulnerable either and I just think Ron and Hermione's one thing because they're basically like family right now at this point but anyone else like seeing him in a vulnerable state kind of like unnerves him yeah how dangerous do you think the bogart actually is like we know it it's emotionally obviously and psychologically scary because you're frightened but like does it have an attack yeah i don't know i think it maybe just like drives you crazy like like i think i think it's more like a psychological torture like i don't think so if you don't know ridiculous it just like scares you until you fall apart emotionally and yeah because we see like in Book five, like Mrs. Weasley's trying to kill the Bogart, and it basically it sends her into a, like almost like a breakdown. Yeah, because she couldn't, she it, like she couldn't get the strength to like go, and, and it didn't do anything to her. And we don't know how long she's up there, but like yeah, but it flashed between all the kids, so we know it was a while. Yeah, yeah. So like obviously she's up there for a while, and it was like it didn't do anything to her. But that's interesting. It's interesting to think that there's like a creature or a monster in the wizarding world that's only attack is emotional because the emotional state of characters is so undervalued sort of throughout the series like specifically with Harry and like psychological abuse is fine and like people can tell you you're the worst and we'll just let them tell you that because that won't impact anything it's interesting to finally meet the first creature sort of that's like no this only hurts you in that way which kind of like validates feelings as being valuable like it can only hurt you by making you feel bad and that in itself is an attack that is seen as dangerous 
Like, wow, feelings are finally validated. <laughs> yeah, but do you have any closing remarks for this chapter? Um, my first closing remark, yeah, mm -hmm, is that Lupin seems like a wonderful teacher. And I would love to attend his class. He seems great. And the homework was not hard. It's literally read the chapter and summarize it. That's great. That's decent homework and it makes sense. I think I would rather have the, done the theory and then the practical just to like have a bit of an understanding of what a bogart is before I fight it. But also I understand wanting your first class to make an impression and be active and exciting and fun. And they're 13, they know how to read a book. They could do that at home. So like overall, good teacher, solid method. I think it's nice because it's the first class. So, you know, easing them into it is like a nice way to go. Especially because he's a new teacher, too, so he's, like, you know... Making a reputation for himself as having fun classes. And also, you know, I feel like you can't leave the bog art in the wardrobe for too long. Someone will end up cleaning it up if you take too long to get your students in there. Well, he told Dumbledore, do not get rid of that. I want my students to get rid of it. Yeah, but Dumbledore doesn't listen, so we're lucky that... He's, he's told Dumbledore, but, um... He must have worded it like, I think Harry Potter would really benefit from watching his friends fight their biggest fears, so do please leave that bog art. And Dumbledore's like, yes! <laughs> You know, it's all about manipulating Dumbledore. That's the trick. Manipulate him back. He deserves it. Yeah, I just definitely um, think Neville deserves the best and Snape sucks. <laughs> that's that my closing remark and if you have any thoughts on today's episode or previous episodes you can email us at podcast at gmail.com or reach us on social media at podrevisited and next time we'll be back with chapter 8 which is the flight of the fat lady then we'll see you next time bye, bye.